Hello and welcome to another episode of the Godly Grum Podcast, where we train soldiers to be better Christians. And Christians to be better soldiers. I am your host, John Cooper, and I am joined by Reverend Dr. <laughs> Deacon. No, no, and I've never no, been a deacon. deacon. Never been a deacon. Apostle. And I've definitely never definitely been an apostle. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Bryan. <laughs> Matthew Bryan will do just yeah. fine, right? <laughs> so uh, I always enjoy the titles because you got a lot of them. You left <laughs> chaplain and major off on that one. I did. The... Yeah, well, you know, we can't hit them all. Oh. Right. <laughs> write so, I'll write them down next time. Yeah, write them down next time for me. And and as we are actually recording at the Niagara Gospel Mission in my office, so if there's a phone call and a knock on the door or something like that, I apologize ahead of time. But as Chaplain Bryant came in in a in a puff suit, which those of you in the army are like, they actually allow you to wear that thing if you're not in Alaska. <laughs> so explain, was it comfortable? It's very warm. Very warm. Yeah. Life as an airman can be really good. <laughs> so he's trying to get us get you to transfer. But that's you know, that's a different topic for yeah. time, right? I've heard the best recruiter for the Air Force is the Army. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so we can have a great conversation yeah. about that. <laughs> Quality life, uh, you know, all sorts of other things. Yeah. So we're yeah, we're we're continuing on with our study on um wisdom for the warfighter. And, and last time we, we kind of talked about, um, you know, wisdom for the warring nation, you know, is first was, is uh, scripture sufficient for warfare? And, and we would say yes and amen. Um, and then what's that wisdom that we're talking about uh, to the warring nation? And those were really the past two episodes in this. And, and now we're actually going to focus on the warfighter himself um, because wisdom is not only for leaders, but it's, it's individuals on the battlefield. And when we consider wisdom, we must remember uh, that it's all available to those who seek God's word and pray. And so the, the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some of the Psalms are looked at as the, the wisdom literature. Am I, am I missing any there, Reverend? Ecclesi- you said Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, right? Proverbs, and some of the Psalms, Psalm, right? Yeah, Song of Solomon sometimes. Song of Solomon. Yeah. We'll, we'll be, <laughs> we may cover that. Sometimes James is considered yeah. that if you look at like more yeah. of the doing a Bible study of James right now. And sometimes it's called the, you know, Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, mm. But as far as formally, formally known, as it's, it's an epistle, yeah. you know, it's yeah. a, it's, a, it's the epistle of James. Mm-hmm. So it's the letter of James, but it's a, uh, it's definitely laden with a lot of wisdom and uh, things that are not necessarily uh, truisms, but, but Proverbs, right. That are mm-hmm. meant to be broad principles applicable in a lot of different ways, but nonetheless, it's still a letter written to, specific people specific time so it yeah. fits under that more of a genre of a letter yeah so, but yeah james is a good one to keep in there as well for wisdom yeah and so we're, we're going to be focusing in the next few episodes really on one proverb that i'm putting as kind of a an overlaying proverb for a lot of other ones uh that fit into it and that's uh proverbs 21 31 and in uh proverbs 21 31 it says this the horse is made ready for the day of battle but the victory belongs to the Lord. And this is a, uh, this, this really just shows the, the clash between um, clash, but also marriage between man's relationship and God's, you know, man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Right. And this is, you know, we can really something this is debated will be debated for eons. Right. I mean, mm. you know, you, your classic example is 
the doctrine of salvation, you know, soteriology, you know, you have your Arminianism, which is more man's responsibility. And then you have your Calvinism, which is, you know, God's sovereignty. And then you have hyper-Calvinism, which is, you know, all God's sovereignty, right? And it's just like, you know, you sin while well, God wants you. No human that. responsibility, right? Yeah. So we have yeah. a, a, a a branch of that that would produce what's called antinomianism, right? Which yeah. just means anti-law. I don't, there's no mm-hmm. law because, well, I can't even be held accountable for my actions yeah. because I'm not in control. God's in complete control, which mm-hmm. just totally nullifies any type of responsibility or accountability. But, yeah. you know, scriptures, to include even the Proverbs, holds attention there mm-hmm. and doesn't try and relieve that tension, but just acknowledges that it's there, right? Yeah. Uh, Proverbs 16, 9, in a man's heart, he plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So which is it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So you you ought to plan your ways, mm-hmm. but remember, the Lord's going to be the one that directs your steps. So yeah. there is a tension there that scripture doesn't try and gloss over, but consistently maintains and sometimes is you know it's just what text am i reading right there as to what tension maybe is more highlighted than the other but the key to remember is you're accountable you're responsible but god's in complete control yeah and i and i think charles spurgeon put it like this he said you know a lot of times and i'm obviously paraphrasing this a lot of times uh we look at man's responsibility and god's sovereignty as enemies but really it's a marriage yeah and and, you know, it's, it's hard, hard for us because we want the one, two, threes, ABCs, right? Mm. But that this is a tension. And so I'm, I'm boiling this all down and this tension specifically to train, then trust, right? Train, then trust. And the two, ten, and again, like I said, the temptation arises uh, when we're talking about training, right? Is it all me? Because I'm the one training with the rifle, you know, but we read, you know, and we're going to look at this a little bit later, but we read, blessed is the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle, which is Psalms 144.1. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and like you brought up this verse before, a man's, a man's steps are from the Lord, uh, but how then can a man, oh, you didn't bring this verse up, but you did, brought up the answer to this. A man's steps are from the Lord, but how can then can a man understand his way? You know, like there's, yeah. that's Proverbs 20, 24. And so it's difficult understand there's no easy explanation besides what you had just said but we just have to know these things are intention mm-hmm. and we have to to work from there and so i'm just gonna read this verse again because i i had this verse always in mind when i was training for afghanistan when i was in afghanistan psalm 144 one blesses the lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle and i wrote down just some notes on that the lord trains his warriors and expects them to carry out that training Although the battle belongs to him, we must labor hard in the preparation and fighting that occurs on the field. Soldiers who rightly believe in the ultimate sovereignty of God must also rightly believe they need to prepare to be the best soldiers on the battlefield so that God may grant them the victory. And we all know the saying, luck favors the prepared, right? <laughs> and I I have changed that to sovereignty considers the supreme. Mm. If you're the supreme warfighter, you know, Sovereignty considers that. And we look at the first war um, in the Bible is Genesis 14. And in Genesis 14, um, Moses describes a series of conflicts that all led up to four kings from Elam, Gohim, Shinar, and Elisakar. And I'm just, I probably said all that wrong. (laughs) Just say it loud, fast. Yeah, or you just kind of mumble it. Yeah. And then it, you know, it goes away, you know, it's oh. just, you know, and it's like, okay, crushing, crushing a rebellion from five other kings that included Sodom and Gomorrah. 
the rebellion had failed uh, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and and they actually fell or some people say hid in the tar pits. Um, so either they fell or hid. There's debate in the commentaries. But the four kings came and looted Sodom and Gomorrah and they took Lot's nephew, uh, Abraham, or who was Abram at the time as well. And one fugitive escapes and he goes to Abraham uh, and, and he tells him the news. And this is what this is what it says. It says that when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He then divided his forces against them by night and he and his servants and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back uh, Lot in his possessions. So Abraham takes 318 men, takes an army of four kings. But it says in here, highly trained, right? His men born in his house, who he personally trained up for this war fighting. And so he brings all this back. He pursues them, and which is meaning he's running through them, right? He's just killing them. And then after this amazing underdog victory, Abraham meets up with Melchizedek. And Melchizedek happens to be a priest king of Yahweh and a foreshadowing of Christ mm -hmm. being the high priest and king. Some believe it was actually Christ. I'm, I do not hold that opinion personally, that that was a Christophany. But that is an opinion that's out there. And, um, and Abraham begins his commentary on the victory with blessed, or excuse me, Melchizedek. He gives, he gives Abraham this, says, blessed be Abram by the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the most high God, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Mm -hmm. So we just read about all the stuff that Abraham did, but he delivers them in his hand. And this is something you read all through the, uh, the Old Testament. You see a war, Israel did this, or you know Assyria was brought down, or Babylon was brought down, and then it says the Lord purposed in their heart for them to do that, or he granted them the victory, or whatever, you know, whatever it may be in that wording, but that's a constant. You know, I just got done with Second uh, Chronicles this morning. That's a constant through yeah. all that part of the Old Testament is they went to war, they trained hard, they were great warriors. God granted them the victory. God gives a victory right now. Yeah. And there's plenty of times when we see actually the opposite happen where um, because of Israel's pride or because of a over-dependence on uh maybe their strength in numbers or something like that, that they, God humbles mm. the people of Israel, um, you know, uh, or their sin in their camp. Right. And so he allows them to be defeated. And uh, you see plenty of times, right. Of um, uh, you know, when Israel goes to other nations in scripture to lot rely on their advanced militaries. Right. Um, when Israel runs to Egypt for, uh, I think it's Sennacherib, right? That is the mm. king of Egypt that Israel reaches down for help from and partners with them. Well, hey, because you reached out to Sennacherib for help and didn't cry out to me for help, mm. we're going to, you're going to be done. You know, so the Lord, you know, humbles sometimes even what seems like the wisdom of man in that of strength in numbers. But it's knowing that, and that's, that's, that's such a constant reminder. Scripture gives us, hey, the victory belongs to him. So it doesn't, yeah. you know, think about, I think about Gideon as being one of the more, you know, humbling or awe-inspiring stories of their, the victory belongs to the Lord. You know, it's like, starts out with all these numbers. Okay. This is what you're going to do to go against the armies. And, uh, nope. Need to narrow it down. 
too many people. Mm-hmm. They were down again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Eventually ends up with about 300 people, right? Then, and the Lord gives him the victory. Now, would you advise a commander to lower his troops as a chaplain? Send the chaplains in first. No, 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 probably not. No, no, it wouldn't be the, you know, sorry, but the, we send in a few. Well, it depends on the situation, though, you know, it's like, you know, so it's not like to, it's not like you would say, hey, forget all earthly wisdom. What is my trust in earthly wisdom? You know, my trusting in the powers of the world or power of God. And, you know, it comes to, my individual responsibility as a warfighter, or if I'm counseling a soldier or an airman, um, you know, it's my job to make sure that they're the sharpest tool they possibly can be for the day of battle. So I'm encouraging them to do all the right things to include not just whatever their training manager is telling them they need to do to be ready, battle ready, but, you know, I'm looking at the other elements of their whole fitness. You know, are you doing, how are your relationships at home? How are these things and how are they impacting your readiness? And so, you know, as a chaplain, I'm going to be trying to counsel people to do all they can to be prepared for the day of battle, mm-hmm. to do the training that you need to do, to be trained, to be ready. But I ultimately know victory belongs to the Lord, too. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's a trust in that, that they have to send them in, in the care of the Lord. I mean, even as, you know, my past job as a, you know, serving in a sniper position, um, when you take that shot, I mean, you've done all you can um, to not only set up, you know, your fundamentals of marksmanship and have a steady position, your breathing's right, your trigger speed's right, your sight alignment, sight alignment. You've read the wind, depending on how far it is, right? You've done all that, but the wind can shift at any moment, right? And obviously, a bullet's taking a second. You know, I think one time we were shooting the fifty cal's out to a mile. And it was really cool because you'd shoot it and then you'd wait and you'd be looking through the site and you'd just be waiting. And then you'd, hear, you'd see the impact and you're like a real life. <laughs> because it's so far away. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just saying, so yeah. like, but even that, I believe it. that one, just that one instance on the battlefield, hmm. there's so much environmental concern that you can do your best to mitigate, but at any, we've all stood in wind before. At any second, the wind changes, and you've adjusted for this wind, and then you take a shot, and then the wind changes right before you shoot. And if you don't catch it in time, you take the shot, that wind right. can change. And so I'm using that as a, as a very small example that, yes, we think we control that shot. And we do the best we can to train to control that shot. But in reality, like, the victory belongs to the Lord. Like, that, that's the environment around us. Could a bird be flying that we didn't see and it snipes the bird instead of the person? I mean, yeah. I, there's this, and, and again, that's one example. It'd be like bombs dropping. How many mortar rounds have hit and they've been duds? The stories of that are just insane. Mortar round goes through the goes through the roof and yeah. hits the floor, and everyone's looking at it, waiting to die in about you know 0.3 seconds and nothing because it was a dud. And yeah. it's like, how did that happen? But that's the things in battle that we would say luck favors the prepared, right? But I'm changing that to, you know, sovereignty. I just said supreme because it's a mess, but sovereignty, <laughs> sovereignty favors those not only that have trained well, mm. but, you know, that God is showing favor on and a righteous, like we talked about last time, a righteous cause goes into all that. But 
it's yeah. Uh, and there may be, I would say even too, there's some things that then this is where we don't sit at a perspective or a vantage point that God sits at to understand the, the, the why mm-hmm. of sometimes we can, um, it's a helpful distinction. I heard pastor Doug Wilson make once is we can describe something. And because we've maybe, um, described it or named it, we think we've explained it. Mm. And, uh, this didn't happen, right? Or this did happen. Well, why? <laughs> and, 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 okay. So, so the wind changed or that mm. mortar round didn't go off, but sometimes, you know, the why question we won't, will, will fail sometimes to be able to answer, you know, sure. Maybe a natural type uh, chain of events that you could track potentially on some of those things, but there's some questions that we'll ask of why on a situation we don't have the answer to. Um, especially as it relates to, you know, Hey, what about when it doesn't go your way? You know, um, why did that IED go off mm-hmm. at this time? That's totally out of your control, right? Maybe mm-hmm. it was something that you've, you've trained for X, Y, and Z, right. And, um, used to live at a place in Pennsylvania that had basically a, it was basically a boneyard for Humvees and, you know, early in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, Humvees were just getting lit up like crazy because they weren't you know weren't armored underneath and mm-hmm. and soldiers are being killed and and the carnage was pretty rough because of the way those humvees were constructed versus the was it mrap is that the mraps and yeah the, the, the mat v's are the new one got the v the v-shaped hull yeah. basically yeah. right so um you know so then you know okay there's a training or a tactic or a procedure that's been improved upon to improve the safety but Early on, you know, why this and why not? You know, well, there was mm-hmm. a there was a an opponent or a tactic the enemy had that we didn't know about or weren't prepared for. And, you know, why all these things, you know, that when it didn't go, you know, your way, or why did in this case, um, you know, the 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 mine went off, or in this case it didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's answer those questions can be really hard to to explore because we don't sometimes have the answer because we don't have God's perspective up of the why. Um, And, and that's where having the humility to say, okay, I don't have that. I may not get the answer to this in this life. I mean, I even have a satisfying answer that I'll be able to get to from even just tracking back what natural causes led to this. I need to be okay with that. I think in some, some capacity and learning to square with, I'm not God. I don't have this perspective, um, especially when things don't go our way. Um, and I think that's when we question it the most. We never question yes. when things go our way. Yeah. Well, the reason I was why me, Lord? Why did that? Why did that mortar round not the, go off? The reason SEAL Team Six was able to go into that room so smoothly is because they're SEAL Team Six, right? I mean, that's that's always the explanation. You know, you know why I was able to clear this building well because well because for the past year and a half we've trained clearing a building every day. You know, what I mean, yeah. or whatever it is, we take so easily the credit for that. Because our military is so advanced, our technology, our training, our leadership, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, the victory belongs to the Lord just as much as the defeat belongs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And there are times, you know, we look at the Winter War, um, which we brought up in a, in a previous episode. You know, we bring the Winter War, and it's like, why was Finland able to hold off the Soviet army? Well, it's God's grace. I mean, they had, Soviet Army had everything. And we can look at the leadership structure. We can look at small unit tactics. We can look at all this stuff. We can say from a physical standpoint, this is why they're able to hand them, hold them off for so long. 
But there's a lot of quote unquote luck that went into that, right? But mm-hmm. we would say, well, there's a lot of sovereignty that went into that. Yeah. A lot of providence. Yeah. Right. And so, and I think, you know, and I really want to hammer, I guess, on this is that if you're an NCO today listening to this, and I don't know what your job is, maybe, you know, you're an Air Force guy who's a maintainer, maybe you're a S1 clerk, maybe you're, maybe you're an infantry guy like me, maybe you're a special forces guy, I don't know, right? But training, you know, though we believe in the ultimate sovereignty of God, training is extremely important. And we have to train. Like, you cannot say, I went through this one time, now I've got it. Mm. I mean, every day, when I was deployed, every single day, we worked on tourniquets, we worked on some sort of medical every day, some sort of weapon, some sort of tactic. Every single day to keep us fresh. Because I can't rely on your medical training a year and a half ago when I need a tourniquet or when I need, you know, I have a, a gunshot wound to the neck. I need you to be able to have the proper intervention for that. I can't rely on your training a year and a half ago. I don't remember what I was doing a year and a half ago. You know what I mean? And I may have taken great notes in my notebook, <laughs> but I'm not refreshing that. Or that computer-based training really. Something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That yeah. computer-based training really got me good, you know. Um Qualified for life. Yeah, but the Christian soldier is, is is really charged with being the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do all for the glory of God, right? I am soldiering, and we'll probably talk about this later, but I'm soldiering for the glory of God. And that can be a hard tension because it's like my job is to kill people. Mm-hmm. And if you're not the one actually pulling the trigger, your job is to enable. Yeah. You know, even as a chaplain, your job yeah. is to enable that warfighter yeah. to do the killing. And so, you know, we can do that to the glory of God. Now, that's a debated what that looks like, right? We can say very easily that's following the law of God and then executing your duties with excellence, right? That's a pretty pretty easy pretty easy way of doing that. And so, you know, I, I really, you know, I'll just give a small example. Room clearing. Room clearing, if you're an active duty army and you're doing your normal active duty army stuff as an infantry guy, room clearing is something you train every day because we did what we did is I went home, I took a I took a piece of plywood, brought it to work, signed out an M4 from the arms room, and I traced it on the piece of plywood. And I brought it home, I took my jigsaw, and I cut out, I cut it out, made that as the tracer for all the other ones, and I traced enough for our sniper team. So we had M4s for our entire sniper team. And so now room inspections on my soldiers became plywood. M4s, right? Plywood M4s. <laughs> okay. And they were okay. painted so you could identify that they were not real. Right. Right. So then what we would do is every room inspection, we cleared the barracks room, which is what initiated the um, room inspection. So that was a, now it got old after a while because it's the same rooms, right? But it's that constant going up to the door. How are we going to do this? I would take plastic army men. I'd sign out the sniper rifles. I take plastic armament and place them down the hallway, and you would do your dry fires looking at a plastic army man, because it's actually looking at a body. You actually get to aim center mass. You're not just doing a dry fire out in the middle of nowhere. Like so, we did this daily, daily disciplines of training because it's so important to be highly trained. Now, I believe in the complete sovereignty of God that everything happened on our deployment for a reason. The guys we lost. God knows why we lost them, right? 
the the attacks that happened, where they attacked, where they didn't. I believe that God orchestrated all of that. However, we were ready at a moment's notice because we, we get called up. Moment's notice. We right. got to be ready. Yeah, God orchestrated, but you have responsibilities there. Yeah. You had accountability there, right? And you would be accountable for negligence, right? For instance, yes. right? We're not going to say, oh, it, you know, it's the Lord, you know, to, and that's not a cop out for us to be lazy or to excuse us for, you know, failing to do our job, mm. you know? Be like me as a chaplain, never taking time to actually think about how I'm actually helping people, right? Mm. But, well, Lord's going to help them if He wants to help them. <laughs> so I'm just a, you know, a bag of water and meat, yeah, sitting in front of you, <laughs> observing what's yeah. going on. Yeah, 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 and, and you know, I'm going to be held accountable for words I say, how I listen, counsel I give to leaders, counsel I give to airmen, you know. I'm accountable. Mm. Ultimately, I know though too, they're a person accountable, and that I'm not in control of them. Can't control somebody else's actions, right? But I know that the Lord's in control. Mm. He, he can superintend anything. Yeah. Um. And so I'm, you know, at his serving at his pleasure, right? At his will, and fully accountable. And same with any soldier, mm. right? That's that's actually pulling a trigger. You know, that's. It's that, it's that tension that we started with. Yeah, and I think so. I I read last two or two weeks ago, maybe last week. I finished up the soldiers' catechism that Oliver Cromwell put out. Mm-hmm. All of his soldiers, which I thought was just such a unique thing that here's now Oliver Cromwell's a you know a highly debated historical figure, <laughs> um, but you know I think a lot of it's him being misrepresented. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that as well. But to have the foresight as a military officer to put out a catechism for his guys to be thinking through some of these things. And when I read through it, a lot of it was to that war specifically. Like they weren't they weren't really focused on necessarily like, you know, topics we're trying to discuss, though that was in there. You know, some of them were like, well, what about Matthew five? You know, what I mean, that we're supposed to turn the other cheek mm. um, and I'm being a soldier. I mean, really it's things that needed to be discussed. But I really liked what he he kind of tackled this sovereignty issue. And he was like, you know, we can we can be highly trained and we can trust the Lord. I mean, Oliver Cromwell was someone who prayed, you know, before every battle, they go into battle singing psalms. John Owen was the chaplain of this whole entire effort, right. And into Scotland and Ireland. Yeah. Um, He never gets blamed for anything. (laughs) He was the chaplain overseeing it. They never bring him up, you know, (laughs) as a position of of, uh, privilege sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) What's the worst thing you do? Blame the chaplain. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, things have gotten real bad and real out of hand. If we're like, we're blaming if, the if the chaplain becomes mm-hmm. the scapegoat for the op going bad, it's like, well, the chaplain. <laughs> All right, wait a second. Yeah. Roll yeah. that back. Yeah, How's that going to sound before Congress? Yeah. You good? <laughs> well, pa- Pastor so and so didn't. Yeah. But, I mean, so then George Washington kind of followed the same vein. I don't know how much he was influenced by the model army. I, I don't, I have no idea. I've never looked into it. But he had the same concept. Well, we wanted all our soldiers to be Christians, or at least say they were Christians, and they were held to a high moral standard. Um, something that nowadays, though there are moral standards for soldiers that are higher than civilians, I'd say for sure, 
um, you know, you commit adultery, you can still be brought up on charges unless mm-hmm. that got dropped in the last year. I don't know. But nope, still active. Yep. Still active. And so there's a higher moral standard in our military than a lot of other militaries. Um, how much do you think that the righteousness of the military outfit affects that sovereignty? Or do you think it's a no factor? Oh, no, I think it it certainly would factor. I mean, I mean, you think about just even consistency of the way God operates and how he shows favor to the righteous, right? And blesses the righteous, um, opposes the proud, right? Mm-hmm. And and so if you're talking about uh, a, a military that models and whether or not people are self-aware of it or not today, many of the rules, regulations to include a lot of, you know, obviously our civil law in the United mm-hmm. States and a lot of the regulations and code of ethics that filter down into our military as the United States comes from a biblical worldview, right? It's just co-opted right now. You know, they, there's probably many people in our leadership wouldn't want to brand it as these are Christian values, but that's a hundred percent what they are. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's even remotely governing sort of the, code of ethics, the morals of your military, the end result is going to be restraining wickedness, mm-hmm. right? And so that's one of the uses of the law is to restrain the wicked, even if it's not convicting the wicked of sin and realize, you know, it's, it's even if they're not seeing it through that lens of, oh, this is me obeying God's moral law in the scripture, uh, they're still being restrained or wickedness is being restrained by the standard that's been put up by our military. And I think God blesses that. Um, you know, comparing our code of ethics to other militaries around the world, it's a lot more righteous. Is that a way of saying? Yeah. I don't know if that's like a lot more than 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 other standards. And I think God blesses that. Um, I think there's a whole lot of room for growth in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a whole lot of us redefining what some of those things mean. You know, particularly I can just speak as an airman. You know, when you talk about even just what is a uh, this was a conversation actually at a leadership forum, um, uh, not locally, but uh, and and it was a uh, at a training I went to and TDY and the, the question was, what does integrity uh, first mean? That's one of our core values in the Air Force is integrity first. And uh, 50-50, and I don't know what it would look like now, but about 50-50 and defined, you know, half the folks there defined integrity in terms of like being true to myself versus being true to an objective external standard. Mm-hmm. And you see sort of some of these values start to be get redefined You'll continue, and as they get more redefined towards the self yeah. uh, versus an objective external moral standard, um, you're going to start to see a lot more confusion over those moral standards, and you'll start to see the moral standards of the United States military continue to slip. I think we as a military understood that or understand that because we always had a saying when I was in uh, the 25th Infantry that regulations don't have ranks. Yeah. So it was like, you know, regulation is king. You can be a um sergeant major and if you're walking around their boots unbloused like that's your eye in violation it does not matter you could be two-star general over the entire 20th infantry division like but if you're if you're not wearing uniform properly you're still not wearing uniform properly and that was that came out because we had a we had a specialist actually go up to our sergeant major one time and say hey sergeant major so you're tracking like your your laces are out on your boots mm. And he had the courage, right, to go up to – that's courage. Because yeah. <laughs> that's our major about to just, you know, reach into your soul and, you know, grab it out of your body. 
and <laughs> gonna get smoked <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's like the the indiana jones where he takes the hand and goes in and grabs the heart <laughs> <laughs> so, so um they must teach that in, in certain in star major course. school yeah, yeah you yeah. don't get that first arms you you can maybe the eyes maybe but not the heart that's star major no but but they they went up and said hey star major so you're tracking you know your your laces are out of your boots and he was like oh thank you because they just fell out that happens to everyone, right? But the regulation is still the standard. And that's when that saying started to be propagated because he brought all of us and we had our Friday, you know, briefing, safety brief and all that. And he addressed the whole uh, battalion. And he said, he was like, you know, hey, I want to bring up specialists, you know, I'm not going to say his name, for bringing this out, you know, for pointing this out. And he was like, I want to let you all know, regulations don't have ranks. He's like, if I'm out of regs, I need to be corrected just as much as the private. Now he's got a lot more experience in regs, right? But so we understand that concept in the military that regulation is king. You know, the barracks have a standard. So the barracks are held to that standard, no matter who the first arm is. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's not being held, that's that on that first arm. That's a leadership problem. But first arm is not above those regulations which he enforces. And and I think it's the same in our Christian life, mm. right? Yeah. Is that we have a book, you know, the Founders Press, they had that book, you know, by what standards? Great book. Well, the standard is the word of God. Right. And that is our that is our standard. And so as we look at a nation, right, and a military, and I I have these conversations, I'm sure you have these conversations all the time with people. And it's like, well, you know, what if the military just decided they were going to order people to go out and round up all the guns or to kill people and all this kind of stuff? And that sounds like something from like a, you know, it sounds like something is possible because we've seen it in other nations. And I'm not going to say that it's never possible here. Right. But you look at Japan, the Japanese empire, when they went through, like what happened in China, you know, the rape of Nanking or how mm -hmm. you say Nanking. I mean, horrific, but their military allowed that to happen. Yeah. It was encouraged. When we went to Vietnam, and you had the Malay massacre. All of those people got disciplined. Is it is it terrible that it still happened? Right. Absolutely. But the fact that it was dealt with and it was made known that this is not regardless of what anyone says about the Vietnam War, and this is what takes Vietnam veterans off, is that that was not the standard. Right? Did it happen? Yes. But those people were held accountable, and that's the difference between a righteous army. Mm -hmm. And one that's not, and I'm not here to say that the United States Army is the most righteous thing since sliced bread, right? But yeah, we do have standards that make us a cut above the rest. And those standards actually help us perform as well. Right. Because we know we're going to be disciplined. I know I can't go steal stuff. Even if first arm does it, when first arm is looking for someone, first arm gets caught and he's looking for someone to put the fall on, it's not me. Right. Yeah. And so I'm expected. And Napoleon, Napoleon put it this way. He was like, the general is still responsible, even if the order was bad, because he's the one who executed it. Right. He needs to tell me that the order is bad and explain to me why. And it's the same thing with us as, as a sergeant who's told to go, go kill that family. I can't. And I have every in my in our army, I have every legal standing to tell that officer. And this is not a true story, by the way. I have every to tell that lieutenant, that company commander. To go pound salt. I'm not doing it. I'm not opening a machine gun up on a family because you're mad 
you know, that we lost somebody. Right. Even though I'm mad too. And, and, and unfortunately that's when you're talking about comparing apples to apples, right? You, there is no, not many comparisons out there of a similar nature of a lot of different militaries don't have those kind of standards. Yeah. Don't have those kind and it's no big thing. I'm, oh, yeah. we're, we're at war with these people. We hate them. It doesn't matter. Mow them down. Mm. And that happens today. That's not like a old Testament <laughs> problem. That's a, that's a contemporary problem in militaries today mm. where just complete slaughter of innocent yeah and uh yeah i think the lord blesses that in the united states military i really do think that is um other things we can prove on absolutely but i do think the lord blesses that mm. uh, to bring it back in some ways to what your question was the lord bless it absolutely mm. uh, the lord wants to see righteousness flourish right yeah and i think he's gonna bless the armies that are pursuing that righteousness um, even if they lack the words to describe it as that way, because they're cut off the Bible from their worldview that they've borrowed. Yeah. But that's hundred percent what we're using as a military in the United States is the foundation of our code of ethics, our morals is coming from God's moral law on the way we conduct ourselves. And I think as we're talking about training the horse for battle, I mean, that moral training is just as important as that physical training. Yeah. And and I'm not, you know, obviously as a Christian, I'm saying we should be training our soldiers in the Bible, right? 100%. Um, however, you can definitely use biblical principles, especially from the Proverbs like we're doing here. And you're showing people there's nothing new under the sun, buddy. Yeah. You know, and my soldiers, myself, everyone around me knew that if we acted, if we would have just left our outpost and started slaughtering the people around us, like we would be met with swift justice from the united states military we would be treated harsher than the taliban themselves at the time because it's unacceptable for the united states to act in that manner yeah um and i think it's a huge encouragement so i think moral training you know and i'm not talking about the indoctrination training <laughs> yeah. talking about the actual actual moral training take that time with your soldiers as you train that horse for battle to actually sit there and have these conversations of like why it's important that vengeance isn't ours. Yeah. You know, and it starts with the little blocking and tackling the basics, right? Which is why, you know, why does it matter that a soldier or an airman at basic training makes their bed this way? Yeah. Because if they're not willing to make their bed and follow a standard here, what makes me think they're going to follow a standard when they're under real pressure? Mm. Right. And is there pressure the TI or the drill sergeant is going to come in and, and, you know, mm. <laughs> Smoke you for have yeah. There's some pressure there, and you feel it, and that's real in a military mm -hmm. training environment. But it's the little things, you know. We talked about in our Bible study actually this week at at the base with um, the question was you know, you know posed of you know what does this earthly wisdom look like when James is contrasting earthly wisdom to heavenly wisdom, and you know earthly wisdom is hey that's not uh, illustration I gave is well in this shop we do our timesheets this way, and right there you're put to the test okay so what happens when you find out in this shop and you see this happen all the time right uh, in this shop we actually use this as a means of you know you see all these big name busts even sometimes in the united states military like i think about there was some i think it was a special forces group that was uh uh doing i had a drug ring or something like mm -hmm. that you know, associated that you know or or there was human trafficking or something like that like like okay so if you're not if you're not willing to stand on godly wisdom for how you fill out your timesheet what makes me think that you're going to stand on it when somebody's looking at you and they're mm -hmm. saying oh by the way we hustle drugs here or we 
deal in trafficking people yep. here and you've compromised back here on the timesheets. You've compromised on what time you show up to work. You've compromised on what you actually do for PT. Mm. Now you're just going to keep compromising, yeah. right? If you don't stand on heavenly wisdom, follow the standard there. You're not going to follow it down the road. Yeah, you're not going to follow it down in the bigger mm. things. It's going to be that much easier to compromise. Yeah, and so and I think I've shared this story before. A couple couple stories from when I was in. I remember my my squad leader at the time because I wasn't married, so I hadn't had sex before. And he had asked me, have you had sex? And I said, no, I'm not married. And he made the comment. He said, how can I trust you in a foxhole if you've never had sex before? <laughs> and I just like kind of looked at him with just this, I'm a private, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a newer guy. And I'm just kind of looking at him with this dumbfounded look. And I just said, I'm like, well, Sergeant, I said, to be honest with you, if I have the self-discipline to not have sex with women before you know, I am married and I've disciplined myself. It's like, wouldn't that actually prove that I could be more disciplined when I'm getting shot at? Right, right. To, to then, you know, fire back at the enemy and not leave, right? Mm-hmm. And not to run away. And he just kind of sat there and, and the platoon sergeant was listening to the little conversation. He was like, <laughs> platoon sergeant's like, oh, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it. I mean, not, right yeah. you showed it in meekness of wisdom, right? James 3, yeah. 13, who's wise and understanding among mm-hmm. you. By his good works, let him show his works in meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast to be false to the truth. Mm. This is not wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Yeah. And your supervisor there that was saying, "Oh, how do I trust you if, mm. I, if you haven't slept with somebody?" Like, wh- oh, okay. So sense. there's an yeah. example of earthly, unspiritual, mm. and demonic wisdom. Yeah. Right. Yep. And there's a lot of that out there. Now that one's a little bit more on the nose, as like mm. earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom. Well, I'll tell you, but, but some of yeah. them, some of this stuff isn't always on the nose. Sometimes yeah. it's very deceptive, right? Yeah. Well, I, I got I got tested one time because it was after that. Uh, a different squad leader was there, and uh, he said, "Hey, just tell Sergeant Platoon Sergeant that we did this training. You know, I was supposed to give that training." Ah, yeah. And yeah. then I said, oh, "We're like, okay, Roger that." Well, then Platoon Sergeant came down to me and said, "Hey, did you guys do that training?" And I said, "No." And he's like, "Okay." Now I'm not, I don't know that this test is going on, right? So they they tested me in that way. I got smoked for the next three hours. And that like it was the worst smoking I've ever gotten. Like not as bad as some of the like the tryouts and things that I had done, but it was the worst smoking I'd ever gotten. And I remember them saying through it, they were like, you know, we told you to lie and you didn't. And this whole thing, and I don't think the platoon sergeant was actually tracking. I think it was because the reaction of the platoon sergeant later shows that he wasn't actually tracking this entire thing was going on, but it was a squad leader who was testing. And I remember looking at the squad leader and he said to me, he's like, how can I trust you if I accidentally smoke a kid that you're not going to lie about it? And I said, you can't. Because if you go and smoke a child, I was like, I will throw you under the bus. So if you're not comfortable with that, like if you took an illegal shot that you knew was wrong, I, and I said, I was like, I, you know, I was very clear. Like I, I answered to something a little higher. You know, and I got smoked for the three hours for that. You know, yeah. some people call it persecution. I wouldn't go that far, but, um, but anyways, and so we, uh, yeah, it comes to the end of our time for this episode, and um, we're just kind of introducing this idea, this tension between train the hand for battle or the horse for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord, and we're really going to dive into next next time we get together 
we're going to dive into um, what is that training preparing that horse for battle look like? Yeah. In right. the next episode, I expect you to explain not only how you know if if the uh, if the locust is the Apache helicopter. <laughs> I want to, I, I kind of want to know what's the horse. Yeah. Es- eschatologically. Okay, I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Eschatologically, what's the horse? Is that, yeah. is that a C-130? It's a C-130. It, <laughs> yeah. It's the warthog. In some translations, it's pig. So, you know, I'm just kidding. No. And so uh, what was expressed here um, is not the official views of the United States Army, United States Air Force, or the Department of Defense. 100%. Um, this is, this is our opinion. And, uh, and God's opinion. And so um, if you'd like to find us, you can find us on Facebook, at a website that you can link to off of Facebook and Instagram. Uh, if you'd like to support this ministry, you can support the Niagara Gospel Mission. Um, we have a veterans program here for homeless vets that we help out and and, uh, and we try to get them jobs. And, and But more importantly, we try to lead them uh, in Christ as they're trying to recover from their, their issues. And so... Um, that's all I really got. You got a couple books. If people want to buy them, how do they find them? Oh, man. Well, I guess they can find them by going to MatthewCBryant.com. I do blogs and I try and help people to learn how to pray in a way that's more biblical, joyful, and consistent. And uh, that's one of those ways. Maybe you're talking about training. How do you train yourself for battle? Uh, how do you train yourself not just for the, you know, you know if you're going to be ready to have that moral compass, it's going to stand, you know, and say no to your squad leader. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be ready. Uh you know, without training mm-hmm. and some of that daily training looks like getting in the word, getting in the prayer. And so if you need help in that, got some resources for free over there. It's a free prayer guide uh, on the website. Go on, get on there. It says for, download my free guide. It's super easy. Uh, but Matthew C. Bryant.com. No, it's, it's yeah. So hard, hey, I thought about the soldiers. And <laughs> yeah. They, no, 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 no. Yeah. As a airman, I thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> no. We appreciate that. No. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And if you'd like to, uh, any of our old episodes, you got any comments, you can email me at thegodlygrunt at gmail.com. I'd love to interact with you on there or on the, the social media posts. And so, um, yeah, prepare the horse for battle, boys, uh, and, and get after it. Or we the have, C-130. Or the C-130, yeah, <laughs> because we never know what's next. And so until next time, climb for his glory.